Um, we're back in Joshua tonight, kind of taking a break, and we'll be back here and, and uh, probably finish out in two or three weeks, but uh, I love this book. And uh, again, it comes, that song comes from this book. Uh, it comes from the first chapter of Joshua, and uh, this call, when you're about to do something big, something scary, uh, the Spirit of the Lord just speaks to you and says, be strong, be courageous. Uh, basically, the message is, you're not alone. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not alone. And this thought occurred to me this morning. If Christ lives in you, you are stronger than you know. Amen? If Christ lives in you, you are stronger than you know. Uh, stronger than you can imagine, I think. Uh, in fact, you're built to, to resurrect from death to life someday. And it's going to be incredible. This morning I had something a little scary happen. It was very early in the morning, as it is on Sunday morning, when I'm headed from our house across our little courtyard, little walled courtyard to the garage. And uh, so I'm just kind of half, you know, half awake, and I, I open the door to walk through the courtyard to the garage, and there's some rustling. And I close the door and step back in the house, and I know this usually means there's a squirrel in this little area. And squirrels, sometimes they get in there to eat the bird food. You all know how that works. They love the bird feeders. And they have a little trouble sometimes scaling the wall to get back out. So I just thought, well, I'll step back in the house because he made a little run up the wall, unsuccessful, fell back into the honeysuckle and was wrestling around. I was like, man, that is a, that's a big squirrel. I mean, that sounds like a, a child is in there wrestling around in my honeysuckle. So I walk back in the house and I kind of watch out the bank of windows to watch his second attempt to scale the wall. It was a bobcat. Yeah, it, it wasn't a squirrel. There, this large bobcat, well, I mean, I don't know how big it was. It wasn't a squirrel. This bobcat goes over the wall, and I was just like, did I just see that? You know, rub my little sleepy eyes. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to, to be scared of. I thought that, actually, more scared. I thought that was really cool, actually, but I wasn't that scared of it, but I thought that was neat. But do you all remember back, uh, well, some of you remember, or you've probably seen the movie Jaws. I remember when I was a kid, that was one of the first scary movies that my parents allowed me to watch. And uh, Steven Spielberg, that was like the one that really put him on the map. Uh, a movie based on Peter Benchley's novel about shark attacks in this northeastern town. And uh, it created, even today, this movie, this story echoes uh, this persistent fear that Americans have when they go to the beach of a shark attack. Uh, and then there was an article that was published in Foreign Policy magazine. They did some research, and they claim, or they, they don't claim, I mean, this is the research, that on average an American is killed, less than one American is killed each year. Point, point 0.92 Americans per year are killed from a shark attack. So, so in case you need something better to worry about, uh, shark attack apparently is not really that good to worry about. So here's some other stuff uh, that are more likely to, to kill you in the United States than a shark attack. And so the, they, there's this list. So trampoline accidents kill 1.1 1 .1, uh, Americans per year. Uh, roller coasters take 1.15 lives per year. Uh, so the article advises, quote, keep your hands inside the car. Your next thrill ride could be to the coroner's office. I like that. Free, <laughs> freestanding, here's one, who, who knew? Freestanding kitchen range tip-overs cause 1.31 deaths per year. I don't, I don't know how your range just, I mean, I, it needs a little help to tip over, I guess. Vending machines 
vending machines. 2.06 deaths per year. Uh, so the article states, quote, So if those high-fat snacks don't take your life prematurely, rock or tilt that machine looking for a freebie, and you'll be sleeping, sleeping with the Pepperidge Farm goldfishes. All right. Riding lawnmowers claim 5.22 lives per year. Fireworks, my dad always warned me about fireworks. Uh, they claim 6.6 deaths per year in the U.S., although technically uh, these deaths are caused more by careless and impatient people looking in the tube. Why isn't this thing going off? You know, wham. All right. Uh, so skydiving, 21.2 deaths per year. Yes, there's a reason you have a waiver on your life insurance that you're not supposed to do skydiving. Uh, getting crushed by a television or furniture. You're loving this, right? I mean, getting crushed by a television or furniture causes an average of 26.44 deaths per year in the U.S. Uh, uh, comedian Stephen Colbert, it led him to issue a warning against the perils of quote-unquote terrorist furniture. Watch out for terrorist furniture. Uh, the article concludes with the challenge to face our fears and take action, positive action, reminding us of the risk factors of smoking, poor diet, lack of physical activity, alcohol. Uh, they kill 87% of Americans prematurely. And the article urges us to get off the couch, turn, on, uh, turn off jaws, and go for a swim. That's pretty good advice. Well, tonight, uh, one thing is for sure. Our fears influence us. I mean, we change behavior, I would say, on a daily basis because of our fears. They influence uh, where you live. They influence how much life insurance you, you, you carry. They influence who you marry. They influence what kind of political candidate you vote for, uh, how much you save. Your fears influence all of that. And tonight, in Joshua 14 and 15, we're going to be talking about fears and a very exceptional person. But every single one of us um, have fears that influence us. Uh, and they're good sometimes, okay? Our fears are God-given when they serve as kind of warning lights on the dashboard of life, right? When your fear is blinking and, and, and telling you, hey, pay attention, this is a potentially dangerous situation, be alert. That's what they're supposed to do. When our fears paralyze us and lead to inaction, uh, then they're not good. They're not serving the purpose for which they were intended. Uh, when they keep us from trusting God, then our fears are incredibly limiting. Uh, they keep us from actually being, from living in who we, are, who we were meant to be. And I love this verse. Paul tells his, his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid. God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. That's what God gave you, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And this, this gets us to Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, he's the lesser known part of this duo that we think of often together in scriptures, Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Caleb is an incredible person. I would, I would put him at the top of my list as the most fearless person in the Bible. 
I mean, we could make a case maybe for some others, but I would say Caleb is right up there, top of the charts, because every bit of data, we don't have a lot of data on Caleb, but every bit of data that we have on him is total fearlessness, including some pretty remarkable general declarations that the Scriptures make about this guy and his character. He is absolutely extraordinary in the way he trusts God. And I'll say this, I think sometimes as we, as we walk through Scripture, we see people that we can identify with. Like this morning, I could identify with Nabal a little bit and some of my not-so-great moments and even David and some of his not-so-great moments. I really struggle to identify with Caleb. But there are these other people like Caleb. Some, some of them we identify with. Some of them just flat-out inspire us. And I think Caleb is someone... Uh, that if we really think about his life and imagine the, the scenes that he was in and how he responded to those, he can be a very inspirational person to us. The word that Scripture most commonly uses, I think three different times, to describe him is wholehearted. Okay? Caleb, in his devotion to God, was wholehearted. Wholehearted. Um, he didn't simply... Uh, he didn't simply love God in one section of his life, or in this arena of life, his whole life was defined by this love, this adoration of God. And so for this lifetime, really, from younger years to very much his golden years of life, he models in a very practical way what Paul was talking about. What does it look like to live with this God-given spirit of power and love and self-control? If you want to know what that looks like, Look at Caleb. Look at Caleb. He is dialed into God. I think sometimes we're switching between stations. You know, imagine a radio dial. I'm, I'm on the faith station. Let's go get him. I'm on the love station. And then I get over here and say, no, he was, whole, he was always on the faith station. He was always believing in God. So uh, we're really going to work toward his older years tonight, his mid-80s. But we've got to do a little bit of background first. We need to remember uh, when he first kind of bursts onto the scene in the Bible. Um, he grew up as a slave in Egypt, as did all of his brothers and sisters and cousins, all of the Hebrew people. He grew up knowing slavery. That was the identity of the people of God at that time. Uh, they worked tirelessly for their Egyptian taskmasters. They were powerless. They had no rights. They were tools used to build great monuments and construction projects of the Egyptian empire. Um, they, though, called out to God, cried out to God, um, day and night, pleading, begging for God to intervene and to rescue them from their oppressors, from their masters. And, of course, we know the story, the Exodus story. God heard their cries, heard those prayers of desperation. He sent Moses... And Aaron, Moses' brother, and these brothers in God's name um, confront Pharaoh, demand the release of God's people from Egyptian captivity. And, uh, of course, there's a lot that goes into the story. Um, Caleb and all of the other people of Israel are set free from Egypt by this series of dazzling Miracles, plagues uh, punctuated at the end by the parting of the Red Sea. And they crossed the entire people of Israel on dry land. And when Pharaoh's soldiers attempt to follow, of course, they're swallowed up in the waters of the Red Sea. The destruction of Egypt's army as they try to follow that same path out. 
And later, led by Moses, the people arrive at the River Jordan. Uh, a lot has happened in, those, in, in this media. They've been wandering around. They arrive at, at the River of Jordan the first time around. The first time around. Uh, this is the demarcation line that separates the old life back home in Egypt and the promised land. I mean, it's, it's 90 feet to the other side. You can see the land that God promised Abraham centuries ago, your forefather. And you know, this, this is our inheritance. This is what God has called us to, to go in and take possession of. This is where our history as a people is going to be written. So we are on this side of Jordan. We are on the cusp of, of that special promise that God made to our forefathers so many centuries ago. And remember what David did? You remember? He sent the spies. He sent these 12 gentlemen on a recon mission to the other side of the river. Scout out the land. Let us know what you find. Where are the water sources? What kind of crops do they grow over, over there? What kind of people live there? What kind of cities are they, are they walled? Are they, are they defensive cities? Are they, are they not walled cities? Um, tell us about this land over there. So they go on the mission. And you, you, I mean, I remember this from like second grade hearing this story for the first time. Uh, and, and they go on the mission, they come home, and there is a unanimous report in one important respect. All 12, 100% agreement. By the way, it's hard to get 12 people to agree on anything. If, if we all went to watch the Avengers or something, probably you know a few of us would think one thing. But all 12 of them thought, that land is just as described. The promised land, yes, it's great. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, there are green pastures. This is very, very inhabitable land. It's a place we can definitely prosper as a people. Um, but then the agreement breaks down right? There becomes a, a majority and a minority report on some other details. We pick it up in verse uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 28. By the way, Joshua and Caleb were two of these spies, okay? But the people living there, so the land is incredible, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as, as they stood before Moses. Hear his words. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't. We can't go up there against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So now, everyone agrees that the land is good, but there is a split opinion on this question of whether or not they should invade the land. Twelve spies went, but only 
Only two recommend that they actually begin this invasion of the promised land. Ten of the spies, the majority report is the invasion must be postponed or canceled. This is just too much. There's no way we're going to succeed in this. The, the enemies are too strong. And so the Israelites are convinced by the majority. I mean, 10 out of 12, you know, 10 out of 12 tell us we better not do it. So they're convinced by this majority report. They are scared to death. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones that say, we got this. They may be big, whatever. God is on our side. You guys remember what happened in, in, in Egypt? When God's on your side, you can't be stopped. I mean, we just faced down the superpower of the ancient world, and God showed up big time. Let's trust him, you know? But because of their paralyzing fear, the people chose to pull back and move away from the promise of God. And so now for four decades, they are going to live in this prison of fear. They are going to wander around in the desert. This generation of people is going to die out without ever crossing over into the promises of God. And that is just sad. And I wonder how many people throughout the generations, I mean, for them, unfortunately, their story has been recorded. But how many of us have not had our stories rec recorded, but how many of us keep wandering around in circles? Out in the day, God's, God's like, hey, I've got this for you. Will you trust me? Will you lean into me? Will you follow me? Will you obey? No, you're just going to circle around over here. I think it makes God very sad. Caleb believed. Joshua believed. And now we move forward in history because they've been wandering, wandering, wandering. Now Joshua and Caleb are elderly gentlemen. They lead the nation finally after this Almost this entire generation passes away. They lead the people across the Jordan River. God once again opens the water of the Jordan. He brings the walls of Jericho down in their first uh, military engagement. And the conquest of this land of Canaan has begun. In Joshua 14, we catch up with Caleb. And Caleb is now in his mid-80s. Please Picture this, mid-80s. Easy for me to do, John Scott. My dad this month is going to turn 88. So I just kind of imagine, when I think of Caleb, I imagine my dad. I try A man of that age, and my dad's in pretty great shape for an 88-year-old, but he's 88, okay? Um, so here we go. Here's, and and what, what's cool is you see, same guy. The skin is probably, well, no probably about it. The skin is more wrinkled. The hair is probably thinned out quite a bit. Maybe his, he's hunched over a little bit now, but it is the exact same person. It's awesome. So we pick it up in Joshua 14 now, verse 10 to 13. Now as you can see, this is Caleb. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive as well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I am as... I love this guy. I don't know that this is true, but I love the spirit here. I love the attitude. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak. Like this is going to be the hardest land to take. 
That's where all the really big giant guys live. You remember they live there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua, I just see him smiling from ear to ear. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his portion of land. And you got to love him, right? I mean, here he is, 85 years old, and he's like, let's go. We got this. Uh, I was ready for this fight 45 years ago, better late than never. Come on. And it's a guy who has put his entire adult life, uh, put it in the hands of God, has decided to trust God every step of the way, even when others doubted, even when his, his own taking of that promise was delayed for decades because of the faithlessness of the people around him. He's still ready to go. His spirit is not beat down. Um, others were paralyzed by fear. Other people all around him are constantly imagining worse case scenarios. Oh, but this could happen or this could happen. And Caleb's just thinking, God told us it's ours. Let's go. Let's go. And so this is nothing new. Years, years earlier, decades earlier, God had said this about Caleb. Listen to this. This is in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Remember what I said? Some people we can identify with. This one is different. This guy has a different he is a unique individual, if you haven't figured that out already. Um, Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, 100%. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. That's the promise that he's reminding uh, Joshua about. So wholehearted, Caleb is a full-time believer uh, faith, real faith, it's not something you turn on, you turn off. Today I'm going to have faith, tomorrow I'm not going to have faith. Uh, real faith is this relationship that you have with God, right? It's this friendship that you have with God where you know Him and He knows you and it's forged over the years and I would say even grows over the years in a person like Caleb. And faith isn't just something, obviously it's not something up here. Yes, I agree that God is omnipotent and I agree with the inspiration of the Scriptures, stuff like that is important, but it's not just a, a, a mental kind of exercise. Faith is, is a lifestyle, Faith is always married to behavior. It's always married to actions. You're putting your money where your mouth is. That's what faith is. And so faith chooses to walk forward. Faith chooses to trust. It chooses to act because it believes in God. It believes in the goodness of God and the promises of God. So Caleb doesn't, obviously he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. In Joshua chapter 14, here he is in his mid-80s. And he's strapping on a sword. And he's, he's leading his clan out into battle against the Canaanites because he believes God. And faith, faithful people, this is an interesting thing. Faithful people like Caleb become conversation changers. It's not just a little silo. They begin to influence those around them. And he has done this over the years. He has no doubt become a very influential person in the community of Israel. Uh, and people like David, they, uh, or people like Caleb, they interrupt these, these thought patterns that are fear-driven and bring in the fresh winds of faith. So, he did it after the scouting mission, 
so many years before. He said, look, God promises this land. We did the scouting mission. We all agree that it is good land. Let's go. God is with us. He is constantly over his life. He is constantly interrupting pessimistic, scared, um, trembling, fearful visions with courage and the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. This is a promise that we can all claim as followers of Christ. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. I've got your right hand. We're moving forward together. Don't be afraid. I am here to help you. Now, fears can actually be a kind of faith. I mean, fear, if you think about it, is, is really sort of a reverse faith. Fear is a strong belief in bad things happening. Fear is a confidence in worst-case scenarios. Fear is a fixation on what-ifs and destruction. And you get back to Caleb, he interrupts that kind of thinking, doesn't he? So Joshua chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. Now we get into the action part of the story. Here's our, our 85-year-old action hero. From Hebron, Caleb <laughs> drove out uh, three uh, Anakites, Seshai, Ihan, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called kiriath Sefer. So he's leading the charge. Now, I don't think you can finish Caleb's story and just kind of touch on his age. I, I think his age is, I think that number is given for a reason. I think the Bible records this age because it wants us to think about that. And we have this expression, you know, it's probably a meme on the internet or whatever, age is just a number. Well, there are some people that are like that, right? Um, and he's one of these guys. Age for him is just a number. And certainly there are limitations, physical limitations that happen as we age and all that. No one denies those realities. But as far as his spirit, age was just a number. It had no bearing on his attitude. Um, and so this is his shining moment. Better late than never. But he's ready for it. And I mean, it was great. It was cool. It was exciting when... Caleb was young and Joshua was young and they, they were enthusiastic and they believed in God and they wanted everyone else to believe and they wanted to take the land and they gave that positive report. But this is the moment. This is the highlight reel moment right here when he's 85 because here he shows that his belief really is wholehearted when it's like, well, okay. You say you want Hebron? You say you want the biggest bullies on the block, the descendants of Anak? Okay, Caleb, it's yours. And sure enough, he puts on the sword and he leads the march against those people. He shows that he will walk into battle based on his faith, right? Well, Caleb could have easily gone with, imagine the excuses available for this guy. I'm retired, okay? That was 40 years ago. I mean, come on, guys. I'm 85 now. I mean, he could have done that. I, I'm just too old. 
uh, to do something great for God. It's now for you younger folks to do. But he didn't make excuses. Love this guy. Um, you know, he may retire from a lot of things, and I suspect he probably did retire from certain things as he got older, aged out of some things, but he did not retire from having faith. <laughs> Age is just a number when it comes to living by faith. One little commercial. I know um, we were talking in a staff meeting this week, uh, and I think this applies to, to Caleb, but uh, Rebecca was sharing with us the children's ministry needs volunteers for the summer, uh, we need people to get in the, the Bible classes. And she was even talking about how simple it is, how they give you everything that you need. But she was really talking about how uh, it's really on her heart and a lot of the people working in our children's ministry who need a break during the summer months, it's really on their heart to see some older people fill those roles because our children are so influenced by this generation by grandmas and grandpas in the faith. I mean, they get to see the moms and the dads in there, um, but it's pretty cool during the summer months to have some Caleb's. And, okay, maybe you're not totally identifying with Caleb, but you could be inspired by Caleb. Uh, you don't have to strap on a sword. They're not that, the, the children are that, uh, not that unruly at Preston Crest, all right? Um, but I just want to put that out there because I think it would be an opportunity to kind of step up, do something a little bit different. Uh, and I think you'll get some smiles out of it. I think you'll get some joy out of it. And I know some kids will be really blessed by that. So there's your commercial. And I'll wrap that up by saying, you know, Caleb, he didn't use his advanced age as an excuse to check out of, I did my ministry, I did my church stuff, I'm now retiring from that. He didn't use that as a, as a motive to check out on God's work. He was, this is the word from Scripture, he was wholehearted. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray and then we'll sing some praises to the great God that we worship, Caleb's God. Father, I thank you for women and men like Caleb who may have lost some of the vitality of youth, may not have all their teeth or all their hair anymore, but they got all their faith. I thank you for those men and women that lead the charge, that inspire, that encourage us because of their wholehearted trust in you and in their Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for the way your Holy Spirit uses the most remarkable people. And in many cases, remarkable in the sense that they are unexpected people to step up and do amazing things in your name. Father, when I grow old, I want to be like Caleb. And Father, I thank you for those wonderful senior Christians we have at this church that pour into so many lives and have done such amazing things for your kingdom and have really blazed the trail for us here at this church. And I pray, God, that you will lift up their arms, that you will encourage them, that they may not be able, Father, to do all of the same things physically they used to do, but they can still pour out encouragement and love and wisdom and be just as much, if not more, leaders today than they ever were in their younger days. Father, I thank you so much. For that. And Father, I pray that you will just encourage us and inspire us with examples like this one. We love Jesus. 
we love that you have proven yourself worthy over and over again of our faith and our devotion. And so, Father, tonight as we sing praises to you, we give you that. We give you our wholehearted devotion. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.